Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This is episode 112 with Tucker Max. Today's episode is brought to you by Fiverr.com. I love these guys. Fiverr.com gives you instant access to millions of creative and professional services from people who love what they do. So if you ever need to get your work done and you have limited time or budget, these are the people to get it done. In fact, this podcast was created by many things from Fiverr. The intro and outro music, Fiverr.com. The logo for UID Media, Fiverr.com. A lot of the editing that I've done with the podcast has also been from Fiverr.com. So... If you're looking for people to to really help out with your internet marketing, help you improve your search engine optimization, and a host of various other things, all you need to do is search through the wide variety of talent and find the best seller for you. Make an order in one click and you're done. It's easy to get your work done on time and under budget. With over 150 categories of services offered, you will always find what you're looking for. I mean, there's literally everything that you can find there. I've seen people go sell ads or even stuff like tattoos um, on there. So you never know what you can find, but it's always great promo for your stuff. Sign up to Fiverr.com. That's F-I-V-E-R-R.com. Use promo code NOMADS and get 20% off your first purchase. Fiverr.com. Any digital service in just one click. Welcome to the As Told by Nomads podcast, where you'll learn how nomads, third culture kids, entrepreneurs, and leaders all over the world embrace their global identity and use their difference to make a difference. And now, having lived on four different continents, here's your host, Tyo Roxit. Welcome, everybody. Today, I have with me Tucker Max, and he's a three-time New York Times bestseller, and um, we're going to talk about the publishing industry and how to really craft your niche in this industry and also elevate your brand. So, welcome to the show, Tucker. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. So, I hope the weather's good down there in Austin. I know you said you're in Austin. I hope it's a, it's a good day. Yes. It's very <laughs> nice, actually. It's 90, sunny. It's pretty nice. Ah, uh, it's good. Uh, maybe it's not as humid as it is here in New York City, so that's, that's a good thing. But um, 
Tucker, I, I was talking before the show about how I, I had, you know, I was fascinated with your company, what it does, Book in a Box. But before that, I wanted you to sort of give us a, a timeline of what led you to your journey and why you do what you do now. Um, okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll give it uh, uh, the really short version, and then if you want to dig into anything, we can. So uh, basically, I, um, I was fired from um, my first legal job like as a lawyer, and then I was fired from the family business by my dad, and I kind of had no idea what I was going to do, so uh, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was just kind of messing around in Florida, in Florida and, uh, and uh, writing uh, emails to emails. my friends about the funny stuff I would do. Yeah. And uh, those emails ended up becoming like, you know, this is 2001, 2002. Those emails ended up becoming like kind of a big deal. Uh, published the, them into a book. Uh, that book was I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell, which spent five or six years on the New York Times bestseller list, was number one for a while. Um, then I wrote three other books in the same sort of genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, uh, two of the three were also number one bestsellers. Um, then uh, there was a movie made about one of the books, et cetera, et cetera. Then uh, after I was, the books are all kind of just about the same stuff, like all the dumb stuff that guys do in their 20s. Um, and uh, once I was, I kind of had no more stories left to tell, so I retired from, from those sorts of books. And then I did a few things, you know, that were kind of okay, whatever. And now I stumbled upon this idea uh, that I'm doing with my company now, Book in a Box. All right. Now, so what is Book in a Box? So the basic idea, for whenever you become an author, the first thing you're going to notice that happens is other people ask you uh, how they can be an author, right? So mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've been writing for ten over ten years, and uh, I've probably had people ask me either pitch me their book ideas or ask me how to be an author. I don't know. I mean, legitimately ten thousand times, and uh, and. I, like an idiot, for 10 years, I would answer their question, like, like with an actual answer. Well, here's what you have to do. And like, you know, it's a lot of work and blah, blah, blah. And of course, no one actually wants to know what to do to be, uh, to write a book. What they want is to be an author, right? They want to turn their ideas or wisdom or whatever into a book. Some people just want like, you know, to have things without putting in any work. But even the people who have good ideas for books don't want to learn how to be a writer because that's you know that's a very distinct discrete skill that's very, very different from having a great idea for a book and so um, this one entrepreneur basically uh, I was giving her the same lectures everyone she kind of called me out and was like look you're not helping me solve my problem you're just telling me how to develop a skill I don't have time to develop a skill I'm running a company so hmm. like, you, like how can you solve my problem and I, you know I kind of thought about it and uh, and she was totally right and so I thought about it and I thought well how can I take like the wisdom and knowledge out of someone's head and put it into a book in, in like, you know, make it a good book without them having to write. And um, I, I just worked with her and we developed this process almost by accident, just trying to solve her specific problem. And, and uh, it basically, it amounted to her spending 12 hours on the phone talking to uh, me and my co-founder and like we, you know, we stru- pulled the idea out of her. What's the idea for the book? We kind of uh, outlined everything and then we uh, interviewed her off of the outline to get sort of all the knowledge on- onto audio, right? We recorded it then we had that transcribed and then I gave that to an editor friend of mine and he basically translated the, the, ma- the, the transcript into book prose. Because if you've, ever, if you've ever seen the transcript of a podcast, 
uh, it doesn't read very well. Right. Even if you listen to the podcast and it makes total sense, you're like, that was amazing. You look at the transcript and it's actually really hard to read because words that are sort of written for the eye are very different than words that are spoken for the year. And so uh, we, like, the, the, we got a really good editor and, and he kind of translated it. And then we, we did the rest of the process, internal layout, book cover, etc. And she was really excited with the book and then it ended up doing really, really well. And we had all these other people come to us and be like, yo, can you do that for me? And uh, it was like one of those things where it was like we were selling uh, this service before we even officially offered it as a company or anything. Wow. And that's sort of like, you know, that's the definition of product market fit is when people are coming to you, begging you to take their money to do something for them. And so that's sort of how it got started. Now, why do you think there's this fascination when people wanting to be authors? And I think a lot of people, I think it's something you said in the podcast, a lot of people that read and consume content don't necessarily know who the publisher is, but they then they can connect the author to the book. Why do you think people... Like? So there's, there's a lot of reasons. So first off, uh, I think a book holds a very unique uh, sort of uh, position in our culture. It's mm-hmm. sort of like, um, like if you've been in a movie or you're on TV, you have, even, even if it's for stupid things, like, like Joey Buttafuoco is a clown, but because he spent so much time on TV, he's like this weird type of celebrity. Or any, pick your favorite reality star, right? And so like, even if it, you're on TV, you're a celebrity, even if it's for bad things, I think books operate in a very similar way. If you've written a book uh, at all, there's sort of a cultural cachet you have. But then beyond that, if your book is actually good and it ends up influencing people and helping them, then I think people uh, regard you or hold you in a very high regard. And they look at you as an authority and a thought leader uh, in your field. And like the One of the weird sort of facts about the internet that is obvious when you say it, but no one actually thinks about it, is that obviously the biggest search engine is Google. Yeah. And the se- second biggest search engine is YouTube, which most people understand. But that's always kind of a shock. The biggest shock that I learned this about two years ago, do you know what the third biggest search engine on the internet is? <laughs> I, I, I think I know what you're going to say, but I think people traditionally think Bing, but it's probably Amazon. It is. It's yeah. Amazon. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. and Amazon is the number one search engine for professionals. Hmm. Right, so like when you're looking for an expert on something, you might start at Google, but it, it's really hard. If you want to, if you type in who's the best at SEO or who's the best at at uh, career coaching into Google, good luck finding an answer <laughs> you can use. Yeah, right. It's, it's so like, what do you do? You yeah. go to Amazon and you look and see who has the best book on this subject. Right, and so like I think uh, books create authority and status and prestige, especially intellectual thought type uh, jobs more than anything else does. And so I think that's one of the reasons a lot of people have books. And then those are the two reasons. The third reason I think is that a lot of people uh, work very, very hard to develop a lot of expertise and knowledge and wisdom in their specific area. And then what happens is it's sort of like it's very no one really passes that on, and I think people are starting to figure that out and realize that the best way to do that is books. For example, um, if you are this is I, I we have a client. This is one of our clients, and it blew me away that this was true. Hmm. But it is. If you go to medical school, right, right, right. Uh, and you go, you say, all right, I want to be a surgeon. Then uh, um, you like learn everything about how to uh, do surgery in medical school, right? Like how to cut open a body and whatever, all the things you have to learn. Do you realize they don't, te- they don't 
they don't spend one single minute teaching you anything about how to run your career as a surgeon or what are the options in front of you, uh, how to you know identify and pick the best, nothing. They don't teach you any, and that goes for actually for I think all doctors, uh, whether you're OBGYN or pediatrician, but uh, surgeon especially, for whatever reason, uh, the way you sort of structure your career is very, very important. And uh, they don't teach you anything about this in med school. And so we had this surgeon who, you know, 30 years uh, experience come to us and he's like, I want to write the book that teaches surgeons how to run their career, right? Just a basic book that here are the three major options. Here's the reasons to pick them. Here's how you decide. Here's how to run each sort of uh, type of career, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, and the book is like, uh, just came out. It's doing amazing because... Every surgeon knows this after 30 years, but the time they need to know it is when they come out of medical school. And no one sort of has actually written this knowledge down. This is called tacit knowledge. It's a sort of wisdom that you can only get from experience and from working in your field. And uh, Google is amazing in information, but Google is very bad at institutionally recording and sharing tacit knowledge, especially about specific fields. Right. So no, I, th- I, th- huh. I think that's sort of why, anyway, so people, it raises people's status to share information like that. Like this surgeon is now uh, like keynoting conferences and he's like, basically every young surgeon in the country is like all over this guy because he's the guy who's teaching them how to run their careers, right? And all he did was write down what he learned in 30 years as a surgeon. Okay. But yeah. You know, you think you think that would someone would have done that, but no one had. It kind of blew my mind. And that's that's why I love what you what you're doing is because it's, it's a lot of people have all these ideas in their head, but the the service that your company does is book in a box is that you basically dis, distill this and put that and convert these ideas into books. Now right. many many people obviously now we live in a time where it's digital age and everything, but what what's great about being an author from what I can hear you saying is that it can be a launching pad to something you probably didn't even realize existed before you might have had all these ideas in your head and you've been frustrated and you wanted to come up with a solution and then all of a sudden you produce this book that many people resonate with because they share the same concerns but they probably wouldn't weren't able to you know enunciate the right way all of a sudden you're these authority guys who would say oh why don't we have you speak to these people and then that you know boost you your books for example were made some of them were made into movies right some books right. are turned into reality shows and some people become guest spots on tv and you become this instantly recognizable person who's tied to a brand and that ties into different sorts of opportunities. Exactly. If you're talking about a, a book is a great way to build other opportunities mm-hmm. for you. Like mo- Almost all of our clients, not all, but I'd say about 80%, are some, there's some sort of professional that a book is going to be something that they can indirectly ROI. So either they're going to get speaking gigs, they're going to get more uh, consulting clients, they're going to get more business, they're going to, it's going to raise their status and prestige so they can get other opportunities. We've had multiple C-level executive, low, like low to mid-level C-level execs come to us and say, like, I've developed this really cool idea, et cetera, et cetera. I want to write a book about this. And he, they're like, I don't care if it sells at all. What matters is, is that it's really good and that the 20 people in my really small niche know about this book because those 20 people are going to be the ones hiring CEOs and I want to be the CEO and the only way they're going to know that I'm this smart is if I put my wisdom in a book and we're like, oh yeah, sure, of course, no problem. And and what's what's crazy is, is that like that guy, 
So like that guy or the surgeon or whoever, the, no traditional publishing company would ever publish these books because uh, you know they don't care about books that are only going to sell a couple thousand copies a year. Like if there's not a chance that it's going to be a huge big deal, then they don't even talk about it, right? And so like like not only can these guys, these a lot of these professionals not go to publishing companies, but also like they don't want to learn all these weird things you have to learn to become a writer and to publish a book and do it professionally, right? Because that's the big, big thing that one of the big things we offer is not. Anyone can self-publish a book. You don't need us to self-publish a book. Anyone can write a book. You don't need us to write a book. But if you want it to be professional and to be awesome, you need someone to help you who's really, really good at that's those specific tasks. Huh. You know, that's that's what we do. No, I, I love it. And this this obviously leads me to this, the publishing question. There's this debate about self-publishing, traditional publishing. And I'm curious as to what your opinions are, when, you know, what the pros and cons are, and where do you see the publishing landscape going? Right. So here's the thing. Uh, the first thing that anyone thinking about writing a book has to understand is that there's no such thing as a right or a wrong way to publish your, your book. There's only the right way for what your goals are. Traditional publishing serves a purpose. Self-publishing serves a purpose. Our company, which is something different, serves a purpose. And they're all different purposes, right? Mm -hmm. So like, if you don't have much money uh, and you have a lot of time, like you can't afford us. We charge fifteen thousand dollars is our base price for what we do. So it's not it's not super expensive, but it's not cheap at all. So uh, so like if you got a lot of time, you need to do self publish, right? And the cool thing about self publishing is that there's so many free tools or near free tools that like if you have something to say, you can get it out to the world with no one standing between you and getting your message out, which is fantastic. So self-publishing is, is great for that. If you, um, if you want to get in bookstores and you want to write a book that is extremely influential and that a lot of people pay attention to and you want to maybe get some money up front so that you can sort of not have to work on other things while you work on your book, then traditional publishing is sort of the way to go, right? Because the reality is that uh, a self-published book can get just as much reach as a traditionally published book in almost any area. There's two areas where traditional publishing still has an advantage. One is getting books into bookstores, like retailers and Barnes and Noble, etc. Uh, they will cut. They will carry some self-published books, but like they'll carry them after they've sold several hundred thousand copies, and so it's like it's it's something their customers are already asking for, which is kind of hard to do. And um, the other thing they'll do, but if you're traditionally published, then BNN will, will carry your book just because Simon Schuster, whoever is publishing. And the other thing is, if you really care about mainstream media coverage, like if you want the Wall Street Journal to take you seriously, and you want uh, Esquire to take you seriously, or whatever, then uh, they don't have. They can take any book they want seriously, but the writers at most mainstream media publications. Uh, the first question a writer will ask you is who published your book because writers think that it matters. No one else thinks it matters. No readers think it matters. But the people working at media think it matters still uh, because uh, yeah, like it, it won't matter, I think, in 10 years, but still it, it matters. So if you want mainstream media coverage and you want to be in sort of BNN, that's where you need traditional publishing. But if you want to do anything else, then um, you probably don't need it. Hmm, that's interesting. There's so many things to pick out from there. One of the things is it's the the mindset that writers have and and the readers have. But 
the other thing that also gets me curious is the Wall Street Journal is a New York Times bestseller. Uh, and there's right. New York Times bestseller, and then there's the Amazon bestseller. What what, what is the difference? Because many times I, you know, I've been in the media game. You've been in the media game a lot. And you see people say bestselling author, bestselling author, but you dig deeper. It's a different bestselling author. What is the difference between these three? Or Man, any other. you know, you, you know, like I'll, I'll be honest. I it's funny because I've written the, the, the what's considered the real in quotes list is a New York Times bestseller list. Like that's considered the most high status. And I've written three number one New York Times. That's amazing. Wait, they were and, not they were not on the top ten. They were number one. Oh yeah, number one. Yeah, number of course. Number one. Yeah, you've um, got to be one of the few that I don't. I can't recall people that had multiple. Maybe I don't know, like. Well, there's, there's quite, yeah, there's yeah. fiction authors that do like J.K. Rowling, JK, like yeah. all the Harry Potter books, yeah. etc. You know, yeah. um, well, I do. There's only three authors that. That's actually not the coolest thing that I've done, uh, bestsellers wise. Is I I had all three of my first three books on the list at one time. What? And there's there's only two other people who've done that. Me and Malcolm Gladwell and Michael Lewis are the only people that have had three nonfiction books at one time. Yeah, it's great enough. Wow. So, 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 like, I have all those sort of credentials, right? And here's what I'm going to tell you: I think most bestseller lists are bullshit. Okay. Like, <laughs> okay. No, seriously, I, absolutely, I think that they are—they're basically just a, a bunch of people trying to prove to other people that they're important. And it's like, it's sort of like, uh, you know, like winning a Webby Award or something. You know, like yeah. it, it's like, or even the Oscars. Like, the, it, it, everyone thinks the Oscars are this big deal, and it makes me laugh because. Quite literally, the Oscars started 80 years ago when the five five movie studios got together and said, hey, let's throw this awards banquet so that people take us seriously because no one at the time took movie studios seriously. And if you look, the Oscars are run by the professional organization of movie studios. There's no objective criteria for these. It's basically what do the rich people who run Hollywood want, want to do? Like mm-hmm. who do they want to give awards to? That's who gets awards. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy is the bestseller lists pretty much work the exact same way. I, people people think that there's some rule to them or some objective criteria, and there's actually not. Um, I'll run you down exactly how they work. So the New York Times is a curated list, which basically means that their book editors decide individually. They decide what goes on the list. Like they don't. It's not based on objective criteria. Now they are heavily influenced by book sales. They do look at the Nielsen uh, rankings, but uh, like because Nielsen uh, book scan is basically the this uh, you, you know Nielsen like does TV rankings. Yeah, they also TV, me- TV ratings, right. Yeah. They also measure book sales, and so uh, they have deals with the major book vendors around the country, and, and they get their numbers, and that will influence them. But New York Times basically they decide what books they think are important enough to put on their list and they won't put a lot of books uh they they won't even rank them on their list if they don't think they're legitimate books i'm telling you they do this all the time they did it to me for a while it was really frustrating uh because i was selling crazy numbers of books and they weren't putting my book on the list and eventually it got to the point where like they had to because it's like they were looking stupid not sort of uh talking about this huge book that was selling these all these copies but um, uh, that's it. so. It's basically if if New York intellectual elites like the book, then it has a really good shot of hitting the list. And if they don't, it's going to be really hard for it to hit the list. So it's not based uh, on numbers. It it is influenced by numbers. So it's not they don't totally disregard numbers. Okay. They they start with the Nielsen numbers, and then from there they basically make decisions at the edges. 
Gotcha. You know, gotcha. so like, uh, like, so then Wall Street Journal list is far more based on numbers. Um, it's not totally based on on uh, book scan numbers, but it is um, it is much more than New York Times. So I, I'll see all kinds of books that will sell more than enough copies to hit the New York Times list and won't. And they head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. We'll hit the Washington, or the, I'm sorry, the Wall Street Journalist. Huh. Uh, and Wall Street Journal mainly focuses on business and nonfiction. Uh, they don't uh, have a huge list the way the New York Times does. There's one other major list, and that's the USA Today list, and that book that list actually is based on objective criteria. Um, they sort of, they pretty much just print the top 150 books in Nielsen Bookstand by sales. But even they uh, call out a lot of things. Like, like they don't count uh, Christian bookstores and they don't count like Sudoku books and certain other sort of things. So like if you actually want a, the most honest look of what books are selling, uh, you have to look at Nielsen Bookstand because even the the lists that claim to be objective are still culling things out, you know? Gotcha. Um, right. And then the only other bestseller list that, that – when you see people talk about how they wrote a bestselling book and it doesn't mention one of the national papers, then generally uh, they're talking about Amazon. And it's kind of funny because Amazon doesn't have a bestseller list. Like Amazon <laughs> – no, they don't. It's, it, they just don't. What Amazon has is a ranking – of how books are selling at a given moment in time. So, which generally their rankings encompass, I think, a four to eight hour period. It's like an algorithm, a weighted algorithm. So, there's so many tricks where you can, I mean, I can tell you how to do it, where you can get your book to number one in some subcategory of Amazon, like like under fiction, under vampire, under like, you know, uh, amputee vampire, it's like amputee teenage vampire or something. There's so many categories on Amazon. And so, like, it's really, if you pick categories well, it's super easy to hit number one. And anyone you see who's, like, number one bestseller, but it doesn't doesn't say national or it doesn't say New York Times or Wall Street Journal or whatever, that's what they did is they just manipulated the Amazon bestseller rankings. Huh. It's not, okay. I, I I can see that. I can see that. Now, with, with do you primarily deal with nonfiction or fiction? All all nonfiction right now. All, all nonfiction. And is that because it's is there, is there a particular reason as to that? Well, or? Yeah, it, because we have a, a very clear formula for okay. how uh, it takes us about twelve hours on the phone with an author to get all their ideas out of their head, organized, structured, and then sort of uh, like record all their knowledge, right? <laughs> and so, and we have a. a very clear process through that we that our outliners and our editors work with to do that. Fiction's totally different. Like mm. fiction is much much harder. 
I'm not. Sh- I don't I have no idea how long it would take to do that for a novel. I think it would be way longer. Yeah, so probably. So we would have to, we have that we would have to charge some insane amount of money that no one would ever do it. Not um, recently, yeah. Right. Exactly. So it's almost all, not almost all. It is all nonfiction. Uh, some memoir, autobiography, but even those we have a structure for. That that is so. That's just just less than a day. You can get an idea into a book. And oh yeah, it's it, well. Generally, people don't spend twelve straight hours, dude. That's really hard. So wow. it's normally like we'll we'll do two outline calls of about an hour and a half a piece on two different days, and then some people will schedule like an hour to an hour and a half a day for like five six straight days and knock out all their interviews. Because think about it, man. If you're we're not we're not having people. This isn't uh, our process is not good if you're trying to explore an idea and and figure out what you know and what you want to say through writing which a lot of people do our process is for people who are who know their their stuff cold okay. you know yeah. so like it, it, if you're a surgeon you know you're 30 years you've been a surgeon you know all three careers you know exactly what to do you, you know all this sort of stuff already you're not having to go research you're not you're not kind of figuring out what to say you already know this so it's just people talking for the most part our processes are people talking about either their knowledge and wisdom uh, very clearly in a way they know or talking about their lives or telling stories that gotcha. they already know. Yeah, makes sense. And, and it, this, before I get to more of your entrepreneurial story, it, the thing with, um, I guess, having authority figures, people that already know what, it, what they do is that it's already been in their head. And I'm sure your process gets the answers or you probe the right way and then they just say something that they probably didn't think was, um, yeah. Yeah, no, you're exactly right, man. Our, our process is really, uh, I mean, I could really go into detail. It'd probably be boring for the vast majority <laughs> of, your, of your listeners, but our process is really sharp and it's really good at getting, uh, the way we ask questions and the way we follow up on questions, we're really good at getting people's knowledge and wisdom out of their head. Like what, you know, like a book is like how, how to, you know, how to begin and guide your surgical career. But th- that's a very specific set of knowledge you know wisdom that's not like a meandering sort of uh like narrative about how you know that's not a malcolm gladwell book you know that's, that's a right how-to yeah. book, that's a how to you know book. yeah that's very right. true like it, it would be much more difficult to do a malcolm gladwell style book although we have done a couple of those they took a, a, a quite a bit longer maybe not quite a bit 15 to 20 hours maybe and we had to charge a little bit more about 20 grand for those because we had to put more work in but uh we can do that too it, it, it's just a matter of People think that writing is writing is actually the act of writing is what's uh, the hardest part of the process. So we just kind of eliminate that part. It's not hard if you have decent ideas to organize them and then get everything out of your head that you know, um, and then have someone else turn your sentences that you spoke into book prose. Even though it's your ideas, it's your words, it's your everything. Like we we don't write any content for people. We just yeah. essentially translate it. That's awesome, awesome, and and um, your base price is fifteen thousand. You said right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. 000. It's not cheap, but like I said, like if you're a professional, you're making two hundred fifty, five hundred grand a year. Yeah, with, with your business or whatever, then a book that that increases that even ten percent is more than worth it. Although it's definitely worth it. I, I think. I mean, for the type of service you're saying, I, I think you know that's a very reasonable price. So. Talker Max, the brand. What has been your favorite thing so far? I mean, I know you said you got fired a few times, a couple times, and then I can't imagine back then that you thought your life would turn out the way it is now. What has been uh, the best or in your favorite thing that's happened as a result of you writing your stories and ended up being a New York Times bestseller? 
You know, honestly, uh, this might sound like a cheesy answer, but it's true. My favorite thing is that, that um, the fact that I wrote stories that were so entertaining that people were willing to pay money to read them has enabled me to live uh, a really free and engaged life. Like, I don't have to get up uh, with an alarm clock every day and go to a job I hate uh, to, you know, with a bunch of people I can't stand uh, to make uh, a pit- pittance amount of money, you know? like. Right. Uh, I mean, artists are entrepreneurs, too, just in different ways. And, uh, like, the first sort of phase of my entrepreneur life was um, was art, was creating art. And and so, it, like, when I'm moving into entrepreneurship was an obvious and easy thing for me, you know? Um, and, and, and that, to me, is the best part about being a, a working artist is that you get to wake up every day and do shit that you love mm-hmm. instead of things that you hate, which is pretty much the same as an entrepreneur. You get to build things you love and you enjoy instead of like having to do something you don't want to do. Okay, Wait, okay, that's cool. And I want you to walk me through three things. The, the time you first learned that you, you were number one New York Times bestseller, and then the other one is when they said, hey, Tucker, we want to make your book into a movie. What was it like? What were um, you at the time and what happened? You know, like, like uh, it's funny. My book hit number one after it had been on the bestseller list for like, like three or four years. So hitting number one was like, it, it, it was sort of like, I, I, it was sort of anticlimactic. I knew it would hit, right? And so like when it did, it was one of those things where I was like, I, you know, I hate to say this. The reality is I, I was at, Actually, and this is kind of a sad statement for my emotional state at the time. I was kind of pissed off that it hadn't hit number one earlier. You know, so instead of like being happy about what uh, happened, I was like, "This is bullshit." The New York Times list is—they're uh, just keeping me off it because they didn't—they don't like my book or whatever. And which was probably true, but nonetheless, it's like I kind of robbed myself of that joy at the time because I—I um, I had a, a skewed perspective. And then the whole movie thing. Um, you know, I ended up writing the screenplay and producing. Uh, I was one of the producers on the movie. So, man, Hollywood is only cool and sexy if you don't work in it. If you work <laughs> in it, it's the worst. It's the worst, dude. Oh. Like, seriously, man, it's the worst. So it was. So it was just more work than you anticipated. Man, it wasn't that it was a lot of work, and it wasn't that it was hard work. It's just that, like, the entire Hollywood entertainment edifice, like, or not edifice, but edifice, like, the the entire media complex in Hollywood is designed uh, to um, basically extract value from creatives without paying them fairly. It's the whole thing is a racket, oh, wow. and, and 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 it was like I really, really. There's a reason. You don't uh, ever hear of, uh, you know, there's a lot of billionaire entrepreneurs. There's no billionaire uh, entertainers. But there are a lot of billionaire studio owners. That is so, right? th- yeah. You know, I was just watching, I was a big fan of Entourage, the, the TV show. I watched the movie, which bombed. I was surprised that it actually bombed that one. That it was spectacular. But um, Ari Gold, like the, the TV guy, studio, and you could see some of the drama behind that. Um, but... I what I've noticed is like you're saying it's it's you know the Sp- Spielbergs and all these guys that Ron you know Ron Howard and people that are able to produce it those are the ones that actually 
they you know the ones that have been able to take a brand for themselves beyond just producing directing and sort of owning the whole process they're the ones that make the money and like yep. the the actors sort of had to do their own due diligence and uh, you know getting a few roles and and then even then if you have one bad movie you can sort of reverse every single thing you did and you have to start again because you know perception is reality uh, sometimes dude, I, I, I agree man think about this from Will, let's take Will Smith as an example. Will Smith has been the lead actor and the anchor of something like $3 billion worth of box office revenues, which means that his movies have probably made 10 or $20 million with all revenue streams, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Will Smith, Will Smith has a lot of money, but he's not a billionaire. No, no. So how the, how the <laughs> fuck do you create $20 billion worth of uh, value or be responsible for that yet? You don't have all that much money. It's like it doesn't make sense. Whereas, like, if he created a twenty billion dollar internet company, he would walk away with a billion or two billion dollars. That right? is so true. That's so true. And in the landscape, part of why when I when I first um you know got got to talking to Kevin, the guy that made this happen for us was the way people are doing and what you've done, and a lot of people are doing, and the millennials are doing right now, and people younger is whether it's YouTube or whatever. They've created their own sort of media channel. Look at Michelle yep. Font. I don't know if you know right. Michelle Font, for example. Oh, of but, course. Yeah. Michelle Font's amazing. Yeah, yeah, but people like, oh, Marie Folio, all these people who've done stuff. And I was looking at Marie Folio the other day, and she's a, like a Fortune 500 company. I didn't even realize that. But some of these people, they started doing their own thing where they bypassed the middleman, right? And then they uh-huh. just created their own creative process, and all of a sudden, they got picked up, and they became the ones that people wanted to. And they were like, hey, we'd love to have you on there. And they could dictate their price. And I, 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 I'm very curious about... I know books is one of the ways you can do that, but what do you think about that sort of phenomenon that's going there? Because now everybody wants to, the bad thing about this is everybody wants to be the next YouTube sensation. Everybody wants to be that. And then <laughs> and there's sometimes reality hits and it's not I, I mean, look, I, I, I love it. I love the idea that the world is going, moving to a place where the, the value being created or the, the, the money being made is now being captured by the people creating the value yes. instead of the middleman. And that always makes the world a better place because uh, now that, it, it, that now the people that actually matter are getting paid. And that's the way it should be. And in fact, I love the fact that all these different people are trying to be YouTube stars because, of course, most of them will fail because most people don't have very much talent and aren't willing to work hard at it and, mm-hmm. quite frankly, aren't producing things that other people want. And so those people should fail and then they can go work uh, for the people who produce stuff that other people want. That's yeah. the way it should work. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And not the other way around. That's definitely yes. not the other way around. Because yes. you, you, yeah, because the other way around, sometimes you start to see when you were in Hollywood and I've heard this from friends that live in LA is that it's like the people that are higher up they seem to think that they they have more talent than they actually do and then some people get this mm-hmm. they get into this great movie and they, they love this and then it's all of a sudden they're the they're set for life because they're going to be like the heartthrob that teenagers will love regardless of what they do and then yep. that's it there's nothing there's no need for talent and there, are, there are movies I watch where you know the formula you put this guy as the leading guy it's going to sell 20 million guarantee. It's going to get like 20% Rotten Tomatoes, but the audience you have is there and that's it. And then they can ride that for like five to six movies. And then, you know, the guy's done. The actors get yep. lazy and then boom, you don't yep. have any substance. And then yep. it's flipped well, like that. I mean, it's so funny. You're seeing right now over a generation 
and the shift between old media where there were a few gatekeepers and they picked who the stars were going to be to new media where the, the audience picks who the yes. stars are going to be and no one can predict it. And you're starting to see, you're really starting to see some great examples of this. I, I don't know how, if you follow sports that much. Oh, but, I'm a huge um, sports guy. Okay. Huge. All right. So, so do you like, do you know who Rick Riley is? Yeah. Yes, yep. right. Okay. So Rick Riley under the old media was considered a star, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so ESPN paid all this money to get Rick Riley from from SI, not because he drove traffic, but because he's a media anointed like sort of me, like sports writer star. Yeah. And so what happens when he got to ESPN is that his articles just bomb yep. over and over and over. No one reads them. You know why? Because he's a piece of shit writer. And <laughs> and no Here's the thing, old media, it doesn't matter if he's crappy, because what mattered is there were only two or three places to read sports stuff, so you just read what was there. Now there's so many options, you have to be good to compete, and so the people like like Riley that no one likes are going away, and the people like Bill Simmons... I was about to say Bill Simmons. Exactly, Simmons is going to start his own thing, I'm so excited about it, I'm so excited. Excited! I could not be more excited. I'm praying that he just gives the middle finger to ESPN and he, he raises like thirty million dollars and just does his own sport, competitive sort of sports thing. It doesn't yeah. have to be exactly what ESPN is. Yeah. It can just be the stuff he wants to do, exactly. like Grantland, but oh. better. You know? Oh my goodness! You have no idea. I'm, I'm giving you a virtual high five right now because I followed the Bill Simmons because you know he started with the blog, right? And yeah. then from the blog, it became this thing that he became. Look at it, thirty for thirties in ESPN Grantland. BS report, um, um, you know all the other people, his disciples, Jalen Rose, and all these other people. But now, when he got let go because I guess they didn't think the marketing dollars matched the salary, I was looking at what the ESPN contract was, and I was like, I was surprised that actually Bill signed this. But Bill, the ESPN owns every single thing, so. Grand oh man. yeah, well, so, that that's yeah. the way Hollywood entertainment works. Yeah, they they own they own you. Yeah, you they basically money. own you. And you could tell you could tell many times when he had when he got you know suspended for Roger Goodell or calling out Skip Bayless in the first take it was because he wanted to say what the real guys wanted to say, right? What the other yeah. ones say. But it's all these corporate speak. So I'm very curious, like you said, what he's gonna do next because he's got to be getting offers from like Fox, NBC, everybody. But I'm I'm curious to see if he, you know. <laughs> what his next thing is going to be? Cause I, I really hope he doesn't go to another network because they'll just uh, they'll muzzle him against their own people the way he was muzzled at ESPN, right? Yeah. I really pray to God that he decides to take like uh, really. You will be actually even the most amazing thing is if he just throws up a WordPress site and says, "Fuck it, I'm going to say all the shit now that they told me I couldn't say mm-hmm. every day." I'm just like you know, I got here's my. I got my Twitter account and I got my Snapchat and I got, you know, like my Periscope and, and I'm going to bust on ESPN all the time <laughs> and then or, or I'm going to make fun of the NBA or I'm going to make fun of whatever, whatever. And like he could be he could make 10 to 20 million dollars a year just doing that from his living room. Yeah, it could be better. Because, you know, yeah. oh, dude, because he would drive so much audience. that, And if you can drive audience, the advertisers are eventually going to come. That's what know? they want. That's what they yeah. want. Yeah, yep. no, it's good, and, and and I love that we have this conversation because this is exactly where I was going with it with the book in the box. Is is your the launching pad might not be clear, but once you have this thing that, yeah, as an authority figure, there's so many opportunities for what the new media landscape produces. Whether mm-hmm. it's it's you launching your own YouTube series, launching your own speaker circuit, being the next this, being next that, but you're 
there's the middleman is going away. You're becoming more accessible, and you can even you know get to a platform where you create your own membership site. And one of the best ways to do that is by having a book because it sort of solidifies you as an authority. And your process, often more often times than not, gets them to be um, on some of these lists or to be getting enough media coverage to be like, ah, that's a good book. I've heard about him. So I, I wanted you to go down this process because it's it's there's so many opportunities you have. And then oftentimes books can actually help cement that uh, authority um, um, name to your name. So it's good that you, you describe yeah. all the process. Okay, so before we, before we wrap up here, I wanted to say what's the next thing that you're doing? Where can we find out more about Tucker Max? And um, how do you use your difference to make a difference? Um, <laughs> uh, well, I, I'll tell you. Like, I actually do have another. I have a book coming out September 15th uh, that okay. is... It's so basically um, uh, a lot of my books were about hooking up with girls and all the you know stupid things I would do, but I you know I, I got to the point where I was pretty good with women. No, I mean not so exceptional, whatever. But uh, better than most. Would, better, much better than most. Yeah, <laughs> and a lot of guys would come to me for advice about women, and uh, uh, especially young guys because they're so lost. And yeah. uh, I, I met this evolutionary psychologist who does a lot of sex research and stuff that you, you read in like you know magazines or whatever. Like he does the actual research, and we were talking about like what what resource could I recommend to young guys? And he's like, "There's nothing. There's nothing out there that intelligently uh, and comprehensively explains sex and dating to young guys in a way that they can use." And I was like, "There's got to be something." He's like, "No, it just doesn't exist." And so we actually ended up collaborating and writing a, the book that doesn't exist, which is basically like, what, what, what do you wish you had at 16? You know, the book that explains, here, this is what women want, this is what you have, this is how you can be attracted to women, this is where you meet women, this is how you uh, uh, approach them, this is how you talk to them, this is like all just basic fundamental stuff. Like if you're 35, you probably don't need a whole lot of stuff in the book, but if you're 15 or 20, the book is going to be absolute gold. And so we sat down and wrote that at its finish now. It's coming out September 15th. Um, that's just sort of a side project I kind of okay. did. Okay. Because it's like one of those things that like don't you wish you had something like that? Like I wish at 16 I had something like that and it didn't exist and oh, now yeah. it does. Yeah. Now I was the most awkward uh, middle school high school guy uh, I, I got into more later on but yeah <laughs> there are many resources that I would hit so, so it's like uh, Hitch but elevated yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah. alright alright okay alright so you got that coming September 15 Book in a right. Box is um, you know it's, it's www.bookinabox.com is that correct mm -hmm. yeah just bookinabox.com bookinabox.com and then um, what any words to to tell the millennial entrepreneurs? This is the majority of the audience that are usually. Uh, yeah, yeah, right, right. So listen, here's the I, I see a lot of this like people giving entrepreneurial advice, and most of them don't actually know what the hell they're talking about. There's really only one thing you need to understand as an entrepreneur. Your job as an entrepreneur is to solve people's problems. That's it. Everything you do. If it's not solving a real problem, it's not going to be a viable business. And if it is solving a real problem, then there's probably a way to make it a, real, a viable business. It's not being an entrepreneur is not having beanbag chairs. It's not raising money. It's not all these things that some entrepreneurs do. It, your job is solving people's problems. So mm -hmm. you need to find find the real problems that real people have, and then solve them, and you will be an amazing entrepreneur. 
And that's the thing. You can do it anywhere in the world, right? Because it yep. doesn't matter. That's the one thing that every culture in the world resonates with. They're always looking for problem solvers and people uh-huh. to help solve the problem. So it's not like, yep. okay, culture shock. Yep. Well, well, I mean, Tucker, this has been a great conversation. You're one of the few podcasts I've had that I've actually been able to talk about my other passion, which is sports. And Bill Simmons' mutual love. I, I consume a lot of podcasts, but uh, I followed Bill Simmons' career. So I, it, it's great to actually hear someone that, that, that just resonates with what I'm saying and how the media landscape can be frustrating. So, yep. um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks thank for you. having me. All right. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to use your difference to make a difference, as well as for show notes, head over to www.uidmag.com. Till next time, go out and make an impact in your world. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.